Good morning, faith family. It's good to see you. If you got a Bible, go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. That's going to be our text this morning. I, I just got this feeling that you're fired up. I just uh, think you're ready. Are you? I thought so. Well, this morning we're finishing a series, a three-week series that we've called A Not-So-Silent Night. And in the last few weeks, we've looked at the realness or maybe even the rawness of, of that first Christmas. We talked about how Joseph was in a situation where he was fearful, but he learned to live by faith. Uh, Mary was in a situation where she was worried, greatly troubled, uh, but she worshiped God in that. And this morning, we're going to conclude the series by looking at how the fact that we're all in a place of defeat, and yet there's something about Christmas that brings us victory. And uh, the Apostle John deals with that here in 1 John chapter 3, and I'm just going to tell you up front, I might get a little excited. I know, this first year I've been in my shell, but... But I think I may come out this morning and uh, be a little excited about a sermon. Um, normally I'm calm, but I'm not promising you anything this morning because I'm, I'm excited about what God's going to teach us. Let's go. All right, here we go. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. 1 John chapter 3, the Apostle John writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit these words. Look at verse 4. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as He is righteous." Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this it is evident who are children of God." And who are children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. This is God's word. Pray with me. Father, we ask uh, now that you would meet us here in this moment of worship. Uh, Lord, I believe that uh, we need to see a whole different side of Christmas. So would you open our eyes to see that? Would you meet us here? And for those in this room who are struggling with uh, defeat and, and are down, Lord, that you would pick them up by your grace and show them the victory we have in Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. As a kid, um, one of the highlights of my summer was uh, I would go spend an entire week with my grandparents. And I mean, I love visiting my grandparents. We were very, very close. Uh, many of you have heard me speak of the relationship that I had with my grandfather. Uh, he was like a best friend to me. Uh, he pastored for over 50 years and uh, just, just had a very special bond with him. And as I think back over those trips in the summer, there are so many memories that stick out. I mean, I could tell you about many fishing trips that I had with my grandfather, 
Even little things like going to the grocery store for a candy bar and a glass bottle of Mountain Dew. I thought that was awesome. And hunting squirrels in the backyard and just all kinds of things that I would do when I go to visit my grandparents. But there's one memory that I will never, ever be able to forget. You see, my grandfather would get up every morning and he would drive down to the local diner and he would sip coffee with all the old men. And when I was in town, he would take me with him. And I remember one time we went down there and I was with him and I started hearing these men talk about everything. Like I thought women at the beauty shop were bad. I mean, these old men were talking about everything from politics to sports to fishing reports to the weather to grandchildren. But then the topic came up, and the expression on my grandfather's face changed. There was a different tone in his voice, because he started talking about the war. You see, my grandfather served in World War II, that's a picture of him, on a naval battleship, and he was wounded when a gun exploded near him. I listened to my grandfather as he talked about his love for his country, and I heard stories I'd never heard before, and I saw a side of him I'd never seen before. As I reflected on that moment that morning in the diner later in life, it occurred to me that my grandfather's view of freedom was very different than mine. When I thought of freedom, I thought of a flag an eagle soaring, fireworks and picnics in July. But when my grandfather thought about freedom, he thought about explosions and blood and war. You see, I thought about freedom from the perspective of the receiver. He thought about freedom from the perspective of one who had fought for it. And as I thought about that, I thought, man, we do the exact same thing with Christmas because if I were to ask you to talk about Christmas, you'd give me lights and gifts and family and food and Christmas trees. As a Christian, you'd even talk to me about the reason for the season of salvation coming to mankind. Christmas from the perspective of the receiver. But just like my grandfather gave me a different perspective on freedom, this morning I want to peel back the curtain of Christmas and give us the perspective of Christmas from the one who came to wage war. Christmas from the perspective of Jesus. And that's exactly what the Apostle John gives us in the passage that we just read. He talks here about Christmas and the world of evil. Now, you need to know this is going to be the weirdest Christmas sermon you've ever heard, and I'll take that as a compliment. John here associates Christmas with evil. Notice verse 8, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. 
For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. You say, Where? How? this isn't a Christmas text. Where are you getting Christmas from? But John says the Son of God appeared. He's not talking about like Jesus made a guest appearance, ta-da, or just kind of came out of the blue. John is talking about the incarnation. He's talking about the Word becoming flesh. The Son of God appeared. He came to earth. And we see a a parallel passage to this in Hebrews chapter 2 that I'll refer to often this morning. Hebrews 2 verse 14, notice this. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, they're humans, he himself likewise partook of the same things, he became a man, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. In other words, 1 John chapter 3, Hebrews chapter 2, talk about Christmas. Son of God appears, he takes on flesh, Hebrews 2. Why? (laughs) Because of evil. You see, Christmas is not just about light, it's about darkness. It's not just about good times, it's about real evil in the world. It's not just about a mythical figure that we act as real on Christmas morning, it's about a real figure most of us treat as mythical every day. Namely, Christmas, you're going to be really glad you came to church for this, is about Satan. Did he really just say Satan? Because that's uncomfortable. Like there's this awkwardness that comes over us when somebody starts talking about the devil. You know, I mean, it's like some of you are like, really, really, really? The Sunday before Christmas, you do the Satan sermon? Like, what's this guy thinking? Don't you know there's guests here? But the Bible says this has everything to do with Christmas. I mean, I know it's awkward. In fact, just try on Thursday morning looking at your family and saying, before you open any presents, I'd like to do a devotion on Satan. (laughs) And they'll say, I'd rather you not, right? I mean, it's Christmas. And yet that's exactly what John says Christmas is about. But the reason why it's so awkward is because we often don't know how to deal with it. Many of people in the culture just deny the existence of Satan altogether. Deepak Chopra, a leading spokesman for the New Age movement, says this, the devil is an invention, he's made up, of psychologically unhealthy people who do not want to deal with the fact that there is good and evil in each of us. In other words, it's not real. And that's one extreme. The other extreme is there are some people that are just like obsessed with like Satan and demons and everything demonic. It's like, I got a headache because the demon of headaches gave me a headache, you know, and I need a, an exorcism of the demon of headache. I mean, it's just like there's a demon around every corner. But most of us are not in those two extremes I would submit to you that most of us are in the category that we believe Satan is real, we just don't live like he is. We just don't think about it in our 
daily life. He's nothing more than kind of that cartoon character on the shoulder, you know, telling you what you shouldn't do or maybe the, something in your conscience that you're just struggling with. But make no mistake, the Bible says that Satan is a fallen being opposed to the things of God, a murderer from the beginning, having nothing to do with truth because he's the father of lies. He walks around like a roaring lion because he is the small g God of this world and the prince of the power of the air. Those are all quotes from Scripture. The Bible even goes so far as to ascribe to Satan real power and influence over the world, not ultimate, but power and influence nonetheless. Let me give you a few verses. When Paul describes his ministry, quoting Jesus, he says this in Acts 26, 18, that he was sent to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the what? The power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me, that is, in Jesus. Revelation 12, verse 9, And the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the what? Whole world. One more. 1 John 5. 18 and 19, we know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who is born of God protects him. The evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God, and then notice this phrase, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Scripture is clear. Satan is real. He is powerful, and he has influence in the world. Now you say, but he doesn't have power over me. He got no control in my life. But that's because you think about demonic things through the eyes of Hollywood. Like people who are under the, the influence of Satan have 666 tattoos. And, you know, their idea of a good time is to drink blood and sacrifice chickens. And, you know, their eyes glow at night or, you know, weird stuff like that. That's not how the Bible talks about people who are influenced by Satan. You don't have to go any further than this text in 1 John 3. Do you know the influence that Satan has over people? Sin. In fact, look at verse 8 again when he says, Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. Here's the argument. Track with me. Satan has been sinning from the beginning. That is, he wants to live in opposition to God. Anybody who makes a practice of sin shares his nature. Why? Because they want to live in opposition to God. Which is everybody apart from Jesus Christ. There are none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Apart from the grace of God, that's me. Which is how Satan has influence over the world, through a life of sin. In other words, let me say this way. Satan's strategy isn't like, I hope the church of Satan starts a church planting network. Satan's strategy is, I hope you'll live a normal life in your suburban neighborhood without bowing the knee to God. Just like him. That's his influence. 
And that is the world in which we live as the Bible describes it. And it's not just our personal sin. It's the effects of sin we see everywhere. Family members that die, relationships that end, people that lie, fathers that walk away from children, acts of terrorism, acts of racism, babies that die too young, our bodies. You ever looked in the mirror and say, what happened? What is going on with this thing? Time uh, magazine did an article, Can We Defeat the Grim Reaper? And it said, this, this is so fascinating. It said, give the human body half a chance and before you know it, it tries to die. If it's not cancer, it's heart disease. If it's not heart disease, it's a stroke. With all the ways the body can do itself in, you would almost think it wants to. The fact is, it does. And here's the conclusion of the article. If science cured every known disease of the elderly, you would only add 15 years to the current life expectancy. The world is broken. It is really, really broken by sin. What, what, do we, what do we sing about? Far as the curse is found. And this is the world Jesus came into. The Son of God appeared here. <laughs> that blows my mind. It just totally blows my mind. I have been places in the world where they talk different. Minnesota, uh, and other places <laughs> around the world. And they act different, and they do things different. But I cannot even begin to imagine the culture shock of leaving perfect relationships and coming into a world where every single one of them is broken. Constant holiness into a world of ruin. 24-7 God worship to 24-7 man worship. And yet the Son of Man appeared into a world of sin. Why? I hope you got your seatbelt on because now it's about to get good. Why in the world did he do this? Look at verse 5. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. And then read verse 8 again. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason, you don't have to go far to find the purpose here, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. In Hebrews, it talks about he partook of the same things to destroy the one who has power over death. Jesus came to destroy something. But, but, but the Christmas card I got in the mail this week said, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. Twinkle. You know, it's like, <laughs> but that, that's, that's Christmas, and it is. But before there's going to be peace, 
it's going to get violent. Really violent. Because John is pointing out here, and the writer of Hebrews is pointing out here, that the Son of God appeared with a mission to destroy the power of Satan, and inside the uterus of a teenage girl, God declares war. And as that teenage girl is crying out in the pains of labor, there is evil stirring in the air. Revelation chapter 12 verse 4 says, And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. Nobody in this room has received a Christmas card with that verse on it. (laughs) And if you do, I want it. Give it to me, please. That is not the Christmas image that we so often think about. And yet the Bible says that's what's happening at Christmas. This woman is about to give birth and you have an enemy that is waiting to destroy it. Why? Because ever since Genesis chapter 3, Satan has known that there was going to be a seed that would be born and the mission of that man is to crush his head. And Satan's been able to say ever since then, you're not it, and you're not it, and you're not it, and you're not it. And then all of a sudden, on a not-so-silent night, a virgin gives birth to a child, and it's on. And if you think I'm crazy, I'll save you the trouble to acknowledge I am. But I'm saying these things not just from my perspective or John's perspective or the writer of Hebrews' perspective, but from Jesus himself. In Luke 11, he is accused of doing the works of Satan. You do these things because of Beelzebub. He's casting out demons, and he turns to them, and here's what he says, Luke eleven twenty. If it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, referring to Satan, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. (laughs) I love this. But when one stronger than he, that is Jesus, attacks him and overcomes him. He takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides the spoiled translation. Satan is strong. Jesus is stronger. And Jesus came to shut him down. And among all the Christmas songs that we sing that I think I've probably mocked about every one of them by this point, And last week, we talked about how so much of our Christmas music is holly and jolly and sentimental. And I I love that. That's awesome. But I have a feeling that the sound of that first Christmas carol would have been more like this. For there was no little drummer boy at the manger. But there was the sound of a military drum. 
Because God declared war. I realize the military metaphor seems out of place in our yuletide images of snowflake and tinsel, but it shouldn't. Because like the 1811 earthquake that caused the Mississippi River to go backwards, when this virgin-born child breathed his first breath, the course of humanity started to change directions and hell shuddered at the thought. And Satan would do whatever he could do to shut that baby down. He'd get Herod to kill babies and bribe wise men. He'd get Judas to sell out for money. He'd get Peter to be a coward. He'd even try three nails and a crown and an old rugged cross, but the gates of hell could not prevail. Jesus came to destroy something and destroy something he did. He comes into a world of evil to wage the war of God, and that is the greatest news in the world for you and I. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. And he cannot keep on sinning because, here's the phrase, he has been born of God. The writer of Hebrews says it this way in verse 15 of chapter 2, to deliver all those who through the fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus came to set you free, to bring new birth to bring new life, a spiritual life that only he can give and only he could give through the defeating of the enemy of sin and death. You see, friends, listen, man, Christmas is not just about Jesus, it's about Satan. It's not just about light, it's about darkness. And it's not just about Jesus' birth, it's about yours. He was born so that this morning you could be born anew. That's the victory that Jesus came to give us. And is that not, is that not what we just sang about? Mild he lays his glory by. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. That's you. Born to give them what? Second birth. Excited. Hark! <laughs> Listen! The angels are singing what? Glory to the newborn king. That's Christmas. Born that man no more may die. That eternally we would have life. Born again in him. Born of God. Born to give us second birth. Jesus came to set spiritual slaves free. He came so that this morning, if you're stone cold dead spiritually, you can be raised to walk in newness of life. Because he came and he won and we are free indeed. So men, what, what I hope that you will do, what I hope that you will do is when you 
Like when you think of Abraham Lincoln and you think freeing of the slaves or you think Berlin Wall and you think freedom or, or you think Saddam Hussein's Saddam Hussein statue coming down and you think overflow, overthrow of an evil dictator, what I hope that you'll do is when you see the manger that you don't say, ah, oh, a nativity prop but that you will see the beginning of the greatest victory this world has ever known. Because that's what it represents. You better believe Christmas was violent. And if it were not true, you could not have peace with God. There is no peace on earth until there's a violent victory for it. You better believe that that baby was born to die because had he not, we would not have eternal life with God. So let me ask you three very quick questions as we close. And I want you to listen to these questions that I think are drawn from this message of 1 John 4. Look right here. Number one, are you ready? Right here, right here. Whose side are you on? There is no neutrality in 1 John 3. You're either of Him or of Him. Riding the fence is the equivalent of opposition. The verse we did not read in Luke chapter 11, Jesus said, whoever is not for me is against me. Whose side are you on? Because you see in war... You're either on one side or the other. And there may be some of you here this morning and you just kind of think that you're just take kind of Christianity, take it or leave it. No, you are either born of God or you are not. But man, what an awesome Christmas it would be if for the first time in your life you found victory by repenting of your sin and looking to Jesus Christ by faith and surrendering your life to Him, whose side are you on? Here's the second question. Are you experiencing victory over sin in your life? You see, John talks about whoever makes a practice of sinning, that is, lives a lifestyle totally unrepentant of sin. Sin is no problem whatsoever in their life. There's no battle with sin. They are not a child of God. We are living in the already not yet. The not yet is we don't have full freedom. Romans 8 says you and I with all of creation is longing for that day when all of the curse of sin will be removed. But the already is that you can start experiencing that victory right now. Because to minimize your sin is to minimize the manger. He came to destroy the works of the devil so that you would experience freedom from sin in your life. Is that true? Are you fighting a war in your life through the power of God and the grace of Jesus Christ against sin? Here's the third question. Are you on mission? 
Uh, Mission, what do you mean? What I mean is, when we're reminded of the fact that Jesus came on that first Christmas on a mission to set people free, we ought to be reminded that's our mission too. Namely, people will not be set free in the South Metro and your neighborhood and your family if they don't hear the transforming message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who better to tell them that story than those who know it well? The mission of Jesus reminds us of the mission of the church, that we are ambassadors for Christ. And listen, dear friend, you're going to be sitting across the Christmas table on Thursday with some people who are slaves to sin. Will you be on mission this Christmas the way Jesus was on mission the first one? Whose side are you on? Are you experiencing victory over sin? And are you living daily on mission? Now by now, (laughs) it ought to be clear after three weeks it was a not-so-silent night. Because that night in Bethlehem when the Son of Man appeared in the flesh, God was invading enemy-occupied territory. But unlike the war my grandfather fought in, we don't call it D-Day, we call it Christmas Day. Because it marked the beginning of the end of sin's reign on earth. And on that night, had you listened close enough past the screaming of a teenager in labor, past the pacing back and forth, back and forth of a nervous carpenter, past the rumblings of animals in a barn, you might have heard another noise. The sound of of a serpent's head that would soon be crushed. That sound? Why, that was just Jesus' way of saying, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Father, I know that there are some in this room who need to experience the freedom of the gospel They came in this morning and they feel defeated. The effects of sin have taken the toll on their life. And the only way they can find hope is to know the real story of Christmas. A Savior who came to wage war and to set us free and to give us a true victory. So God, I pray that for the person here this morning who is on the wrong side, that they would repent and believe in the Lord Jesus. I pray for that one who is fighting the same sin. I pray, God, that your spirit would come and meet them and give them victory and power to fight. I pray for those who have been passive about your mission, that they would see that what we are celebrating at Christmas is the very mission of God.
And that has implications for how we live. Lord, help us see these things. Help us apply these things that we might truly understand Christmas in our everyday life. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.